Well, we're back in the uh, Gospel of Luke this morning. If you have your Bible with me, you can uh, turn to Luke 18, or it'll be up on the screen. In Luke 18, a man comes running to Jesus and wants to know what he has to do to have eternal life. After his conversation with Jesus, he walks away sorrowing. What happened? What locked him out of the kingdom of God? We're going to look at this parable, or this incident that happened in the life of Jesus. I'm going to read verses 18 to 30, and you can follow along with me. Luke 18, starting at verse 18, the rich young ruler. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Who then can be saved? But he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And Peter said, See, we've left all and followed you. And so he said to them, Surely I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parent or brother or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bow in your presence today and the word is open before us. We are helpless and hopeless to understand the depths of your riches unless you stoop in our weakness by sending the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit, to illuminate the text we have just heard. I pray, Father, that you would help us in this hour. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jesus had been teaching various times in the passages that we have pre previously talked about, about how to enter the kingdom of God. He talked about the Pharisee and the tax collector and showed the contrast that it takes humility to be a child of God. Then children came to, to him, and he pointed out that unless you become like one of these, you shall not enter the kingdom of God. So today, we come to this rich young ruler. There's a lot to commend this guy. First of all, he came to the right person to ask, and he asked the right question, but Let's look at this man's extensive resume in verses 18 to 23. First of all, he was a rich man. In verse 23, it says he had great wealth. Both Matthew and Mark says that he had great possessions. Perhaps this man had a lot of property. Maybe riches were, back in that day, how much livestock you had. Maybe he was able to store away some gold and silver. And clothing was uh, 
kind of an extreme, expensive commodity in that day. He probably had the latest gadgets and the latest forms of transportation. He didn't have to worry about where his next meal was going to come from because he was at that stage of life that he didn't have to worry about paying the bills. He had everything that he wanted, and he could just do what he wanted. He didn't have to work for a living. He was a rich man. But he was also a young man. Youth is prized back in that day, but it's prized in our day as well. I just mentioned that I, I joined the, the great grandparent club, and it makes you wonder. Um, you know, we were uh, walking on some trails uh, during our vacation, and, you know, I, I had to use one of those hiking sticks, you know, and my wife had to use this arm, so I was going up, and she was hanging on to my left arm, and we looked at the golf carts that uh, transported people, and I've never envied golf carts so much as when we were in the mountainous areas, and we stayed in Pigeon Forge uh, for four days as well, and I, I've never seen so many golf carts and little scooters and everything, and now I know why they, they have them, just to, to transport people around. So youth is very important. So this man was not only rich, but he was young. So he had those two qualities going for him, but he was also a powerful man. The Bible says that he was a ruler, and it doesn't specify what kind of ruler he would have been. Perhaps he was a member of the Sanhedrin, or maybe he was a, an official in a local synagogue. Maybe he had some kind of political power. But whatever the ruling, that brings great status. Boy, I tell you, it's amazing how people just lust for power. You see, uh, we're getting into that season where you're going to be seeing yard signs all over in anticipation for the elections coming up, you know. It's not the presidential election, but there's going to be local elections. People want to get into a position where they can do something, positions of power. And that was um, also there in the Bible times. This man had achieved um, a state in his life where he was powerful. And there is certain satisfaction in being able to rule and to be able to control, have some type of power. But the Bible also indicates this man was a religious man. He wasn't uh, one of the sinners or uh, unsaved uh, Gentiles or anything like that. He said that he kept the commandments from the time he was a youth. In other words, when Jesus quoted those Five of the Ten Commandments. He knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. So he'd been around the synagogue. He'd been raised in a religious environment. So he had that going for him. Now this wasn't just one of those beggars that Jesus had met off the street. This man's resume was becoming quite extensive. But also he had this going for him. He was a spiritually hungry man. In spite of his youth... In spite of all the money and the possessions that he had acquired in life, in spite of having this kind of power structure, whatever it was, in the synagogue or in government, something was missing in his life. He had been listening to Jesus, and just previous to this passage of Scripture, Jesus had talked about the little children. Except you become like this little child, 
you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And this man took it to heart. He says, what does he mean by that? I, I need to find out more. So he came and he ran up to Jesus. Mark 10, verse 17 says this. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may have eternal life? Here in Luke, Jesus taught about receiving the kingdom as a little child. Something had stirred in this young man that money could not fill that, that emptiness in his heart. Even his position or his religious background did not fill that emptiness in his heart. And so there was something there that was driving him. Jesus has got something that I need. And he went up to him. The man's burning question was this. How do I get in on the kingdom of God? What do I have to do to gain the greatest inheritance a human being could ever possibly have? Possessing the kingdom of God. He would not be denied. He ran. Probably had to push his way through the crowd to get to Jesus. And then he fell on his knees before him and pleaded with him to answer the question, What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher, tell me, how can I get this? Well, let's look at that question in verse 18. The earnest question of the man. First of all, he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He seemed to be sincere and with no ulterior motives. He, he seemed, this was a legitimate question that this man had asking him. And then he said, good teacher. And then Jesus used this, this question to peel back some of the layers that this man had to get to his real heart. He, asked, he said, why do you call me good? I know Paul hadn't written Romans yet, but you ought to be able to anticipate that there's none righteous, none good, no, not one. Don't you know that there's none good except God? Why do you call me good? Now, uh, the rabbis in that day were called master or teacher, but it was unusual for a rabbi to be called good. Good teacher was, was something out of the ordinary. And rabbis were not addressed that way because the Jews reserved the word good for God. They didn't call each other good this or good that. They explained it was only for God. This explains why our Lord asked the young man, well, if you, if you really believe that Jesus is good, then you must believe that he's God. That's the question. And this man showed by his walking away that he didn't believe that Jesus was God, but he was trying, Jesus was trying to peel behind the, the man's statement to actually say, what are you saying? You call me good, but you don't believe that I'm God. By asking this question, our Lord was not denying his deity, but rather affirming it. Well, this man walks away showing that he did not understand what Jesus is talking about here with the word good. God does not lower the bar of judgment to accommodate us. He doesn't grade us on the curve. He grades us according to his 
goodness. God is good and the rest of us fall short of that goodness, of that glory of God. And this man was not accepting that. So Jesus says, okay, you know the commandments in Luke eighteen twenty: Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. So Jesus responded to the man's question by instructing him to keep the seventh, sixth, eighth, ninth, and fifth commandments. And this is the second half of the Ten Commandments. And they deal with our relationship to people. And the first four related to relationship with God. No other gods, no idols, things like that. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. And as Jesus delineated five of these commandments, he did not specify the tenth. And we'll get to that later, why Jesus didn't give the six, which related to people, but only five. Well, this man was listening to Jesus. Nope, I didn't, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't stolen. I haven't done that. These all I have kept from my youth. He joins a whole list of people who think they're good to go. <laughs> the Pharisees we studied in a previous week was one of those people. He was entering the temple. I thank God that I'm not like anybody else. And he, he had kept these things. And also, remember the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son? He says, I've been with you. I've, I've done everything you said. And you've never thrown me a party. And a lot of people are in that club that think that they are okay, that think that just because I've kept the rules, just because I go to church, just because I, I give money, just because I, I pray uh, before I eat meals or anything like that, then I am good. Je now, Jesus did not quote these points of the law to him as a means of salvation because obedience to the law does not save us. Keeping the rules does not save us. He held the law before the young man as a mirror to reveal his sin. To reveal his sin. The Bible says in Romans 3, 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So Jesus was showing the man a mirror of himself. But the young man looked into the mirror and would not see the stains and blemishes in his life. When Jesus quoted from the second table of the law, he did not quote the last commandment. Thou shalt not covet. Jesus knew the young man's heart. So instead of preaching to him about covetousness, he asked him to do something that the covetous person would not do. He exposed the idolatry in the man's heart. So Jesus said this in these verses of Scripture. He said in verse 22, So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Okay. 
So Jesus knew his heart. He knew that this man could not be saved until he got rid of that one thing that was in his heart. Sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Jesus knew this man, and he knew the one thing that he lacked. Well, you would think, one thing? Well, just tell me what it is, and I will uh, enjoy eternal life. But that's not what he heard. He heard Jesus say, well, there's just one more thing, just one, not ten. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And that's the one thing he was not willing to do. This young man's example of a person who does almost everything right. They're a good husband. They are a good father. They go to church. They do everything right, but there's one thing that is keeping them out. But you know, almost doesn't save anybody. Almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. You ever hear that? (laughs) Just getting close enough is not going to make it to heaven. This man came at the right time when he was young. He came to the right source, Jesus. He came with the right attitude, running and kneeling in humility. He came with the right question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? As a matter of fact, you can't do anything to inherit eternal life. There's only two ways people try to spell salvation. Some spell it D-O, where God spells it D-O-N-E, done. It's not what we do, it's what Christ has done. He completed all that we need to get to heaven by his death on the cross and his blood that was shed. All that we must do is believe that and, and have the Lord as our Savior, accept him as Lord and Savior. Well, Jesus told him, go sell all you have and come and follow me. You've almost attained the goal. There's just one thing you lack. Sell, give it away, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then just come and follow me. It's just a little thing. Give everything away, all your riches. Empty your pockets. Take out your change. Give it to the kids that are uh, gathered around you. Throw away your wallet. Give everything that you own to somebody else. Only place in the Bible where you find Jesus telling this is the way that you need to do. This man had to do. Nobody else. You don't find it in the Romans road. (laughs) Go sell all you have and, and give to the poor. Well, the reason he didn't require anyone else to do this is because that this is the problem the man had. And before he could receive Christ, before he could have eternal life, there was an idol that he was worshiping. There was that tenth commandment, you might say, that he had covetousness. Also, he had violated the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And Jesus was just peeling back the layers and showed this man's heart was not right. His God was his money. He broke the tenth, but he also broke the first commandment. He was, not the, 
He was the only one. Jesus told uh, that he had to do this because it was in his heart. So what happened? Well, what did this guy do when Jesus said, go sell everything you had? And I can just imagine the man doing the math. He says, I've got this amount of money. I've got this. I've got this home. I've got this, these possessions. I can't just give them away. He went away sorrowing. He walked away with an empty heart and was not willing to count the cost. In the Gospel of Mark, it gives us a, a, a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus. As this man walked away, the Bible says Jesus loved him. Jesus loved him. Folks, you can't love anybody into the kingdom. I've, I know there's a lot of people that are not yet saved and have walked away I want to know that there is a Savior who loves you. And then Jesus talked to his disciples in verses 25 to 27. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, who then can be saved? But he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Now in in this saying that Jesus said the camel was the largest animal that anyone in Palestine would have ever seen. And the eye of a needle is the smallest opening imaginable. For a camel to go through an eye of a needle is impossible. And it's impossible for anyone to go to heaven on your own merits. You can't do it. It's Salvation is only possible through the finished work of Christ. Jesus' reasoning was clear. One must keep the law perfectly in order to inherit eternal life. Only God was good, truly righteous. Therefore, nobody can attain eternal life by following the law. The only course of action left is follow Jesus and obtain eternal life. The disciples were listening to what Jesus was saying, were concerned. So they asked Jesus, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. This man had one thing. One thing keeping him out of heaven. And that was an idol in his heart. When you think about it, his riches that he attained in life... And he was young, perhaps he would live another 40 or 50 years and enjoy those riches. But when he died, he would have nothing at all. And he would leave it all behind. I wonder if there's anyone here today that there's one thing, just one thing that is keeping you out of the kingdom of God. It may be some kind of pet sin. It may be some kind of pride. It may be something that you're willing, not willing to turn loose. It might be you're, you're just not willing to admit that you're not good enough. You're not good enough. That one thing. And I also wonder if there's a believer here that there's one thing keeping you from enjoying the victorious Christian life. We sang that song, Victory in Jesus. 
And it's for those who are following him, those who are obeying him. Maybe there's one thing that's keeping you from obeying the Lord or perhaps following the Lord in the ministry or whatever it is that's not worth it. It's not worth it. Back in 1830, a man by the name of George Wilson was convicted of robbing the U.S. mail and was sentenced to be hanged. President at that time was Andrew Jackson. And for some reason, he used his presidential pardon and issued a pardon for Wilson. But the problem was George Wilson refused to accept the pardon. Uh, they'd never had this problem before. <laughs> you guy is going to get hanged and he, he doesn't want to be pardoned. So the matter went to the Chief Justice Marshall who concluded this. Wilson will have to be executed. A pardon is a slip of paper, wrote Marshall, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it's refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. For some, the pardon comes too late. For others, the pardon is not accepted. This man could have had eternal life. All he had to do was do what Jesus told him and follow him. I wonder, as Jesus has offered eternal life to everyone who believes, is there someone that is refusing his pardon? Oh, my friend, accept Jesus today. Father, we come in your presence. And we thank you for your precious word. Thank you, Father, for teaching us that eternal life is in the words of our Lord Jesus, not by the works of our righteousness, not by keeping all of the law. The law shows us that we're all guilty before God. I pray that, Father, your Holy Spirit would speak to hearts. If there's one here that doesn't know Christ as Savior, oh, Lord, awaken within them by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray for believers today as well. And, Father, if there's things that are keeping them from enjoying the victorious Christian life, from stepping out and following and serving our Lord. Oh God, deal with that soul today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we close.